You're listening to Lies and Half-Truths, tales written and performed by A.P. Weber. This is A.P. Weber. It's good to have you with me. We're continuing the adventures of Woodrow the Wicked with the 16th chapter of The Moonshadow. You can catch up on the story so far by listening to chapters 1 through 15 of The Moonshadow, which is, I don't mind saying, a fairly unique fantasy adventure story. Before we get started, if you like the show, please consider rating and reviewing it wherever you listen to it, or just tell a friend. It all helps. Thank you so much. Now the recap. After the last episode, Woodrow and company were well into the Ku Island Con, and it couldn't be going worse. Cassandra set up a champion battle between two bands of ruffians, with Hartford and the Angel serving as each side's chosen combatant. But of course, their efforts to rig the outcome and win a massive fortune did not go as planned. The money the young adventurers bet on the fight is certainly lost, and they're no closer to ridding the island of the warring thugs, which was the point all along. At least it can't get any worse. Or can it? And now, Lies and Half-Truths presents The Moonshadow, first book of the adventures of Woodrow the Wicked. Part 4. The Ku Island Con. Chapter 16. What happened back there? Woodrow shouted over the pier from the Moonshadow's deck, where he had been pacing alongside Tamberline. You were supposed to be here two hours ago, and have a wheelbarrow full of money, by the way. Cassandra didn't look up. She shook her head. I don't know what happened. She sank down to sit with her legs dangling from the side of the pier. Woodrow rolled his eyes, gritted his teeth, and stomped across the gangplank. Stay there, Tamberline. He envisioned nudging Cassandra hard on the shoulder so that she toppled into the water below. He smiled at the thought, and with that moment of callous mirth, he realized the real reason he was angry. In fact, he wasn't angry at all. He was scared. Fantasies of horror had been playing out in his mind while Cassandra was delayed. Images of her hurt, arrested for fraud, or worst of all, killed. He realized that even though he'd only known Cassandra a short time, he couldn't able bear the thought of living without her. Of course one day her drift would be over, but maybe then he'd consider joining the Privateers Guild. He already had his own ship, so Cassandra could just join his crew as his first mate. He sat down next to her and placed a hand on her shoulder. I lost it all, she moaned. I know. And... She tugged at the fringe of her cowl. And what? And I may have made some promises I can't keep. Financial promises. You bet more than we had? She nodded slowly, 
Her hand trembled against her knee. This is bad, Woodrow, she said in a hushed tone. One of the worst crimes in Guild Law is failure to pay your debts. I could go to prison. After having spent the last two hours playing out the worst outcomes in his imagination, it took Woodrow several seconds to comprehend the hard truth of what Cassandra was telling him. I don't understand, he said, haltingly. You're pirates. You steal all the time. What's the difference? There's a huge difference. I keep telling you, the Privateers Guild isn't like that. I'm in a lot of trouble. Well... Woodrow said, his mind grasping for a solution. We still have our earnings from Elihu. I mean, once we get rid of the bloodletters, right? Cassandra sighed. Woodrow studied her. What? Well, the war dogs upheld their end of the bargain. They packed up their camp and they're leaving tonight. The only problem is there isn't much left of them. What does that mean? Most of the dogs defected to the bloodletters. Now they're just one big gang. Woodrow rolled onto his back with a groan and looked up at the hazy tropical sky. I can't believe I let you do this. I'm sorry, she lamented. He shot up again. Wait, what happened to the angel? He can help us. Oh, right, the angel. He's not doing good. Still? Yeah... It's like he's sick or something. Betsy, one of the camp girls, put him up in a room. She's taking care of him. Woodrow thought about this for a moment. The angel had hung over him like a noose, but he had also, on occasion, protected him. Without the angel, Woodrow felt less certain of his ability to protect the moon shadow, the only home left to him and his ragtag family, from those who wanted to take it away. That's so weird he said. How could that have happened? He rubbed the back of his neck, thinking. Where is he? We should probably figure out a way to sneak Hartford over to him. Might help him get better. After all, you know, he's family, right? He's at the Squid's Tentacle Inn. But that would look pretty suspicious, don't you think? If someone caught us, they'd know the whole thing was a scam. She looked around. Where is Hartford, anyway? The bloodletters are feasting him back at the Queasy Tortoise Saloon. Of course, he doesn't eat, but they got him on some sort of throne at the head of the table anyway. It's ridiculous. They sat for a moment longer. Neither spoke. It seems you two have had a turn of bad luck, came a voice behind them. The youngsters turned halfway to see the broad-shouldered mulberry across the pier, leaning against a stack of wooden crates. You? Who's that? said Cassandra. My name is Mulberry. I'm a mercenary with the blood letters. He straightened up, folded his arms, and eyed the pair back and forth. Now, what I want to know is who you two really are. Woodrow and Cassandra exchanged looks. They got to their feet and stood across from the man, facing him at quarter turns. Woodrow glanced up at Tamberline who was crouching stealthily upon the moonshadow's deck, ready to strike. He felt a rush of courage in his chest at the sight of her. Mulberry waited a beat longer for the pair to answer. They didn't. Well, no matter then, said Mulberry. I made a lot of money today, after all. And perhaps I'm not altogether what I seem, either. 
Whatever your scheme was, I suppose it blew up in your faces. How much did you lose? Cassandra shrugged. Not much. She lied, convincingly. Mulberry grinned at her. Oh, but you did. You thought that angel would win the fight, and you bet everything on it, didn't you? I know this because I took the liberty of buying up all your debt just moments ago. Grinning with exultant mischief, he reached into a pouch on his belt and produced a ream of bet tickets. You just owe me now. No one really thought you were good for it, so they were happy to sell me their winning bet vouchers. Woodrow looked at Cassandra. Her face was stone, all trace of the devastated girl from a moment ago gone. I think you should stop pussyfooting around and tell us what you want, Mr. Mulberry, she said. Otherwise, shove off. Mulberry laughed. Young lady, you may not be an actual guild agent, but you would make a good one. You're right. Let me get to the point. I want to offer you an opportunity to get back the money you lost. What, double or nothing? Well, to be honest, we don't have anything left to put up. As I suspected. But no, nothing so risky as that. I have an opportunity for you to earn the money back and more. A job? Another scam or what? A theft. Cassandra spat out a bitter laugh. All right, let's say we were interested. Cancel our debt and we'll talk. Again, Mulberry laughed. Sure, let's say I accept your terms. You'd have to put something else up as surety. Something big. Then we're back where we started. We lost everything, Mr. Mulberry. Everything. Not everything, surely. He glanced past the youngsters at the moon shadow, wet docked along the pier behind them. To Mulberry, it must have seemed a peculiar-looking steamer, but a steamer and nothing more. Certainly not a magical, balloonless airship. No, said Woodrow, following Mulberry's eyes. That's out of the question. Hear me out, said Mulberry. I can see you are capable, so I'm offering you this job first. I assure you that if you turn it down, there will be other takers, and you'll still be in my debt. Fine, get on with it, Cassandra said. Now that the dogs are out of the picture, Alihu is paying tribute solely to the blood letters. Of course, the bloods are larger now, thanks to a number of turncoats. Do you have any idea how much it costs to maintain a standing army for a month? Because that's what we have now, an army. It's a lot of money, my friends. A lot. So you want us to steal the tribute? Precisely. You are a clever girl aren't you? What do you need us to put our ship up as surety for, then? Why do we even need you? We could just steal the money for ourselves. Not that I don't think doing so would be completely crazy. Crazier than crazy, Woodrow put in. Just a minute, said Mulberry. Let me finish. There is, of course, a trick to stealing the money. Do you think Alihu would deliver such a large sum without taking Precautions. The location of the drop changes every month, and he only tells the mercenaries the location after his ape 
has delivered it. That way, no one can get the drop on him and steal it. That means either Dim or Jim is guarding the treasure alone until Ralu can send a detachment to pick it up for him. So? So I know where this month's drop is going to be held. Hmm. Then all we have to do is get there first, overpower a great ape, and haul off the treasure all before Ralu's men get there, said Cassandra with ironic nonchalance. You are a resourceful pair with a powerful golem, and I suspect an angel at your disposal. I think you can pull this off. If I've sized you up correctly, you're working the heist out already, even perhaps how you can keep the treasure for yourself. Isn't that right, little Miss Privateer's Guild? This, of course, is why I need some surety before I can give you the information. So you know where? Do you also know when? Yes, of course, said Mulberry. I know the exact day and hour the treasure will be delivered. How? Mulberry smiled. This game you're playing, young lady. I've been playing it longer, much, much longer. You think the world is full of fools and amateurs for you to con, but now you've met another player. Take it as a gesture of respect that I refuse to reveal a trade secret. Woodrow found himself rubbing the back of his neck while Mulberry talked. Something's not right, he thought. Then it came to him. You're responsible for what happened at the fight. You poisoned the angel. Mulberry raised his eyebrows. And why would I do that? To put us in debt so we would have to steal the tribute money for you, Cassandra said. Hmm, said Mulberry with a noncommittal shrug. That would have been a clever plan. Or perhaps you were just unlucky and I'm seizing an opportunity. Does it really matter? The youngsters stood in irresolute silence for a moment. Finally, Woodrow spoke up. Okay, you can have the ship as surety. What? cried Cassandra. Woodrow eyed Mulberry. What choice do we have, Cassandra? We're broke. Give us the details, Mr. Mulberry. If we fail, this ship is yours. Cassandra, can you drop a contract? Cassandra drew it up. The contract outlined the details of the intended crime, nullified the gambling debts, and designated the moonshadow as forfeit to Mulberry if the treasure should fail to be delivered two nights hence. She made two copies, and Woodrow and Mulberry signed both. When Mulberry went on his way, the youngsters retreated to the moonshadow's library, where Cassandra found she could hold her tongue no longer. I hope you know what you're doing, Woodrow, she said. Because from where I'm standing, it looks like you just lost us the Moonshadow. By Privateer's Guild law, that was a legally binding contract. You will be held to it. And there is no way we can steal that treasure. The Angel is sick, really sick, and you and I both know Hartford is useless in a fight. In two days, we will be forced to hand the Moonshadow over to this Mulberry guy. And then what? You said you see the Moonshadow crew as a family. What happens when the family loses its home? I'm on a drift. I'll have to find another ship to... What are you smiling about? While Cassandra had been ranting, Woodrow's face beamed with increasing satisfaction. 
He kept thinking about the day he first met her, how they lay on the beach and stared up at the broken moon. Cassandra said she thought the moon was beautiful, and now, for the first time, Woodrow understood what she meant. This whole broken, messed-up situation they were in, it had a kind of beauty, too. Like the moon, the family they'd formed around themselves were disparate pieces of an odd whole held together by seemingly nothing. And yet, even in the face of forces that would tear them apart, he felt optimistic that nothing really could. And besides all this, he held some comforting facts in mind that it seemed Cassandra had forgotten. This must be what it feels like to be you, he said, a grin broadening his face. Cassandra looked furious. What are you talking about? Woodrow sat down in a chair and set his feet up on the library's table. Tamberline was curled up underneath it. She lifted her head and he scratched her mane. Mulberry can have the moon shadow, Woodrow said, then held up the gauntlet on his left arm. Because the contract you just wrote doesn't say anything about this. He pointed at the goggles on his forehead. Or these. Or Hartford. Cassandra nearly screamed at the realization. The moon shadow's useless without him. Mulberry won't be able to fly it. Right. Worst case scenario, we, I don't know, steal it back and fly away or something. Cassandra frowned. Sure, but then we're fugitives of the guild. They'll enforce that contract. They can try. But Woodrow, don't you see? I can't spend my drift with a fugitive of the Privateer's Guild, so we'll have to steal that treasure. And if the mercenaries figure out it was us... Woodrow sat up straight and held up a hand. Don't worry. It won't come to that. You know I'm not a thief, Cassandra. Well, I mean, maybe I am when it comes to the Moonshadow. The verdict is still out about that honestly. Anyway, what I'm saying is, I have a plan, so don't worry. While Woodrow rambled, Cassandra looked down at him with an evolving mixture of hope and apprehension in her eyes. You have a plan? Don't act so surprised. He gave her a devious grin. I've learned from the best. All right, what's this plan, then? We do things my way for a change. We take the high road. The high road? Cassandra repeated, folding her arms across her chest. What does that mean? We do the right thing. We turn in Mulberry. Cassandra squinted at him. Keep talking, she said tersely. Explain. That contract is evidence of Mulberry's intended crime, right? Woodrow said. The Bloods will consider him a traitor. It's also evidence against us. Not if we're the ones who turn him in. So we tell Ralu about Mulberry's plan. We come clean. I guess that would work. Ralu would take care of Mulberry for us. Right, Woodrow said and lounged back in his chair with a self-satisfied expression. We'd be completely out of debt, Cassandra reasoned aloud. With Mulberry dead? Yeah, wait, dead? Ralu is not going to let a traitor live. Oh, come on, Woodrow. You don't feel sorry for him, do you? No, I just... He blackmailed two kids into stealing for him. I told the blood letters I was 18. And I'm sure they believed you, Mr. Babyface. The point is, what do you think will happen to us if we get caught trying to steal the tribute? This Mulberry is not a good person. I know, but... You said it yourself. 
we'd be doing the right thing. We'd be reporting a crime and coming clean. What could be wrong with that? But if it gets someone killed, Woodrow fretted. Sometimes doing the right thing has consequences. Negative consequences. Yeah, I know, he mumbled. He was thinking about the Grimble Prince. Milo had told him something similar before he died. But maybe, I don't know, that makes it the wrong thing? A dumbfounded expression played across Cassandra's face. Then she seemed to have an epiphany and, a second later, a flash of anger. You act like you're better than me because I'm a pirate, but you're more confused about right and wrong than I am. Let me set you straight. If consequences are all that matter, then we should have killed Mulberry ourselves. The world would be a better place without him. Woodrow dug into his neck with his nails. She was right. He was confused. He'd learned so much in his father's library, from cosmology to arcane sign language, but he didn't know how to unravel this knot. He thought he knew the difference between good and evil already, but at one point, he would never have considered stealing or breaking a contract. Lying, maybe. That didn't seem like a big deal under certain circumstances. But murder? If it meant saving himself and his friends from a terrible fate, wouldn't he be willing to even commit murder? Then, the most terrible realization of all fell out of his mouth. It really is all my fault, isn't it? Riley Island? The Grimbles? All that death and destruction. If I'd done things different, gone along with the lie, let them arrest me for Lord Edgar's murder. None of it would have happened. Cassandra put her hand over Woodrow's, stilling his raking fingers. Her voice softened. No, Woodrow, no. That's what I'm saying. You're not responsible for other people's choices. You did what you did, and the Stone family did what they did. That's all there is to it. Woodrow locked eyes with her. You really believe that? I know it. Listen, Woodrow, I think I have a plan that will get us out of this mess, and maybe even make us some money. But it's going to require a little bit of lying, and it will probably lead to some bad people doing bad things. We can't let that bother us, alright? We do what we do, they do what they do. That's how it works. We do what we do, they do what they do. Woodrow repeated slowly. It had the ring of truth to it, or maybe just a distant echo of truth. But for now, a distant echo was enough for him. Thanks for listening to Lies and Half-Truths. This episode was written and performed by A.P. Weber and produced by Meg Weber. Our theme was provided by Josiah Martins. Original music by Mackenzie Stubbert. As always, consider liking, sharing, or reviewing this podcast wherever you listen to it. You can always support me, A.P. Weber, on Patreon. In any case, please join us again next time for more Lies and Half-Truths. Lies and Half-Truths.